Welcome to the Inspiring You Show. I'm Henry, and this, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. The content is light and coded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Okay, so here at Inspiring You, we get asked a lot about going for your dreams in general in life, also in career, how to handle difficult situations at work, signs of burnout, what to do when stressed, signs of gaslighting and what to do, how to also career transition and tools to support in so much more. Back on September 7th, 2021, I did a recording of a podcast series called Live and Learn with former colleague and friend Mike Hazen. Because these episodes have a ton of information so much insight and helpful tools, and also so inspiring. We will be sharing all eight episodes here on the Inspiring You show. And so in the first episode, it's how we got here. And so Mike and I really kind of take apart how we got to where we are. We are both former reality TV executive producers, and we share how we each broke into the entertainment industry, how we were two kids way back when, And we had a dream that we wanted to work in television and how our roads got us to the place where we manifested and how we then met working on the iconic NBC game show, Weakest Link. So you will hear the introduction to Live and Learn. And then it is an incredible conversation. And I'm just so proud of this series. And I just really want more people to hear it because I feel like there is so much there that could support people and inspire people as well. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and please feel free to share and message us because we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. Welcome to Live and Learn with Henry and Mike. Every time. It's going to be every time. (laughs) We are former executive producers, colleagues, and we were part of the trailblazing generation that was on the frontier of creating and solidifying reality TV as a genre. That is correct. We met in our 20s, and now after many years apart, and after both successfully making a career change, we're coming back together. We have experienced a ton, and we're ready to dish, deconstruct, and unpack it all. We're going behind the scenes and pulling back the curtain to share our stories and what we learned along the way. We're sharing it with you guys, okay? Giving you a glimpse inside, seeing what put the real in reality TV. And today we are chatting about how we career transitioned in our 40s. That sounds insane. When when I hear you say that out loud, it just sounds insane. Uh, The reason so many people stop short of ever making career pivots is because they're scared. I I mean, I, I think that's just, the way it is, you get, you get comfortable, you have a, whether you have a family or whatever, you're just, you get, you get comfortable in your habits. Um, and it, it can be terrifying. A double dose of fear of the unknown, a feel, fear of failure, especially in your forties or older, uh, it can stop anybody from, from making a switch that they don't so desperately need. So what is the secret of those who make it to the other side? In many cases, they take small, deliberate steps, brave steps and actions towards the goal every single day, even when it is inconvenient, even when you feel really scared, even when it's terrifying. They weigh things out, decide to take it on, full full run on it. And today we're sharing how we did it. So if you're contemplating making a career change in your life, stay tuned. That is... um... Just hearing you say that, Henry, it just, it just brings me back. I know we'll get into it, but um, I think it's something that, you know, uh, it's it's just such an important thing. You want to do something that is going to make you happy. And just, I think if someone, if we can help one person kind of get through that, get over that hump of thinking about it, they've been considering it for a while or even just talking about it for a little while, um, I think they're going to find this really helpful and, and I hope that we can, you know, be a source of inspiration for them and motivation. I hope so too. And I don't know if you noticed it as I was, um, 
sharing and saying those words, my heart started actually beating faster because it kind of brought me back to my own moment of um, career transitioning and how I felt in terms of feeling scared. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we're going to get into it. Okay. You have a disclaimer to, to read for everybody right now. Go for it. So content in this podcast may contain information and discussions of work PTSD, mistreatment, and other traumatic situations. If you need support at any time, please call or text Mental Health America. Call 1-800-273-TALK, that's T-A-L-K, or 8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center or text MHA to 741-741 at the crisis text line. It's important, guys. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody, don't be embarrassed. Don't hesitate. Just call those people. They will be very helpful for you. And um, look, nothing bad can come out of it. Absolutely. Um, All right, let's get into it. Okay, let's go. Um, All right. I'm ready, Mike. Okay. Okay. Let's um, yes. let's talk about your career transitioning. What really um, led what was the impetus to you career transitioning from television into becoming, going into real estate? Well, that's a great question, Henry. I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know, there was a lot of factors to be honest. Um, listen, I let's, let's go back a couple years, you know, spending almost 18, 19 years doing television, you know, right out of college and, um, you know, having some success, but as the industry changed, so did my needs and my priorities and my desires. And, um, you know, I, I had a family and life in reality TV was a lot on the road. It was, you spend more time with the, with your coworkers than you do with your own family. And, I happen to be somebody who loved my wife and still presently loves my wife. Shout out to her, Margaret. We just celebrated our 16 year wedding anniversary. Um, And so I, and and we also have and had had and have now two daughters. Uh, One will be almost 10 in a, in a few weeks and one is four and a half. And um, I love them and I love being with them and I love seeing them. And so before they were around um, or before the kids were around, you know, and I would travel, Margaret could come with me and be on the road and experience some of this fun stuff with me. And it was wonderful. And sleeping away, you know, in a hotel room was exciting. And, um, and, but, but after a while it got to a point where it was, I wanted to be in my own bed. I wanted to be home. I wanted to be part of, you know, uh, have more of a stable life and um, having the kids certainly, you know, it, it, it motivated me to want to participate and be part of their lives. So the actual, there was an actual moment that I think was, was the turning point. Um, If you don't know much about freelance television or, or produ- production, you know, the freelance world is a, is a tough place. Um, you don't know where the next job is coming from oftentimes. And, uh, and sometimes you don't know when your job is ending until the day before it ends. There's no real rules of how they can treat you um, on a show. They can literally call you up today and say, hey, we have a job starting tomorrow. Can you be here? And your answer is yes or no. You either drop everything in your life and you go to get that paycheck or you don't, and you don't get the paycheck. And I would so, say Mike, too, with that, sometimes they'll say, can you be here tomorrow with your bags pack? And you're going to go somewhere for three months. That's right. That's right. And you have to not only drop everything, but then you have to, yeah. to leave your home for three months and it can be challenging. That's right. Yeah. That's not, yeah. I was, I was only speaking of like a local job. Um, So as I was sort of climbing, excuse me, climbing the ladder, um, I was also thinking to myself that, oh, well, I put in my time. I have the ability to pick and choose a little bit more of the jobs that I say yes to and say no to, because, you know, as we've talked a little bit about, listen, it's not all rainbows and and butterflies with the people you work with in this industry. There's a lot of jerks and, and, 
you know, a-holes who come along the way. So I felt like after, you know, 15 years, I had earned the right to say, I don't want to work with this person. I don't want to work for this company. I don't want to work for this network. I don't want to, you know, I want to be a little bit more selective so I can surround myself with people that I do enjoy because I am going to be spending so much time of my life with them. So I honestly, I turned down some gigs for a while, but as, as I've explained before, when you do that, you're turning down money, you're turning down paychecks and that's a problem. So we're a single income family. You know, we, we, my wife and I, we, Margaret and I, we, we decided from, get, from, you know, as soon as we were going to have kids that we wanted her to be able to be home and be with those girls and, and really sort of focused on them. So we have, we know that also we, we sacrificed some financial scenarios. Um, so what we, when I, when I gave up some of these jobs after a certain amount of time, if you get to a point where it's like, it's desperation time now, now you better take a job because there's not going to be food on the table and you start to blow through your savings. And when you have kids and you got a mortgage payment and you got all this stuff, it's, it's a big, it's become stressful. So back in 2018, after this drought of saying no to some jobs, a job came up. It was going to, it was for, I can say some of this stuff specifically because you can look me up on IMDb. <laughs> it was for the USA network. And it was a, a show, uh, a, a reality sitcom. And we were going to be filming in Lufkin, Texas. Lufkin, Texas, not Lubbock, because that's a big town. Where Lufkin, is Texas is in East Texas. It's about, it was about an, maybe two, it was between Dallas and Houston. So you're basically two hours from any kind of big town, maybe an hour and a half from a big town. Um, and it's sort of, I mean, no offense to the people Lufkin, they were very friendly, very nice people, but it's small town. Like it's, you're in the middle of nowhere, basically. And um, the job was going to send me out there for six weeks straight with no opportunities to come home and see my family and no opportunities for them to come out and visit me. But I had already turned down a bunch of jobs. So I had to say yes. So I took the gig. It was decent paying. And I was out there. And at that moment, when I knew I, when I said yes to this, I was, I was sacrificing a lot of things. I knew I was going to be giving up my daughter's first soccer game. I was going to be giving up her first day of second grade. I was going to be giving up so many things, not to mention, you know, six weeks of just being with my wife and, and seeing, you know, seeing her, you know, we're best friends. We do everything together. Um, and so I was giving all of that up. So in that moment, you know, we had already had discussions, Margaret and I, about, you know, is this the life we want? As more and more jobs, you know, start to disappear or take you out of town in, in, in production, it gets to a point where it's like, what's, the, what's our future look like? Like, I don't want to be 50 years old and on the road in some random town making, a, you know, a, a two-bit reality show. Like, that's not my future. I don't care if I'm the showrunner or if I'm the executive producer, if I'm getting paid $5,000 a week. Like, that's not fun. I had seen other people, other executive producers in the same boat with families and like, it didn't look good. It was a very sad, sad, dark picture. So Margaret brought up real estate. We bought and sold a couple of houses over the years. We built one from the ground up. We moved to Texas. We, we, you know, we've done some things and um, I've always just loved it. And as I've, I think I mentioned in the last episode, we talked about, you know, what was some of the best parts about about being a reality producer. It was be, you know, and becoming, you know, learning how to be resourceful, right? So I decided that I was going to study for my real estate exam and I was going to make a transition into real estate full-time. And it was, but it was that moment, it was that time of being away and being in Lufkin, Texas and being away from my family in these dark, dark moments of just like, I don't want my future to be this. And, um, it was scary. It was absolutely scary. And I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my friends. The only person that knew that I was studying for the real estate exam was Margaret. And I did that on purpose. Um, because as you know, Henry, when you start to share your hopes and dreams, there's only two things that can happen. And that's, if you're lucky, you have a lot of people who are supportive, 
but more than not, you're going to have the haters. You're going to have people who are going to tell you what you're doing is stupid and you shouldn't do it. And you're going to, they're going to make you feel self-conscious and try to talk you out of it. And so I knew that, and I, I didn't want that to happen. So I I kept it to myself. Like um, in the industry, what can happen is as soon as you start saying you're exiting, people think that you're already done and you're gone. And it may actually um, affect you being able to get work because they may not be really in it anymore. That's right. Um, So anyway, I, I, that was a little bit long winded, uh, but that was really, you know, it took me back to that emotional time. And um, there was several things over the years that I, you know, that I personally went through on different shows that, you know, I just, my family wasn't getting the best of me, you know, if they were getting me at all, because I'd be gone for weeks at a time. So when they did get me, they were getting this, you know, stressed out, pent up person version of me. And, you know, in the, in the, in the work, in the, you know, my colleagues were getting the best of me. Cause you got, you know, you got to put on that happy face, that smiling face that yes, sir, that yes, ma'am, you know, no problem, whatever we can do to you know make this, we're going to make it all happen. And even though it's a, complete s show and um (laughs) that means shit show for those keeping score and um you know but but i didn't want to i just didn't want to do that anymore and you know and i suspect henry i know we went through some similar things but you know what was you know what did you go through what was that moment for you that that led you to say you know see you later okay so whoo this is um i know that we did I did share a little bit about it. And this is going to be my first time really speaking in this way. I have shared in writing. So, okay. Um, I had You're a safe just, space. You're a safe space. I can do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had just finished show running this massive show and um, it was right before the holidays. And usually at that time, there aren't many shows available. As Mike alluded to, TV is a gig economy. And if you aren't on a show before Thanksgiving, it can be challenging to find work until the new year. Hollywood kind of closes its doors from Thanksgiving to sometimes in like, maybe like February, sometimes even like in March. Um, So I wanted to be able to work to use my skills. And yet I didn't want the full responsibility of show running. So I was offered a consulting executive producer on a show and I thought, fantastic. This is great. You know, I would, um, I would be in charge of writing up creative beats and segments. I was going to be prepping celebrity talent, conducting talent interviews, running control room and supervising night production amazing, all things in my wheelhouse and that I could easily do. And I would have some responsibility, yet not all of it. And it really seemed perfect. Yeah. Um, It was a 24-hour house reality therapy show. So I had the 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift. However, as you understand, Mike, usually producers stay on longer than the 12 hour day. And so often I was actually leaving at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., which means I was getting home around 4 or 5 a.m. because the location from my house was about 45 minutes to an hour away, depending on what was going on with traffic at that time. And when Henry, you- I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, but I want to add something for some context for those, you know, who are listening, who may not understand entertainment industry hours. And, and, and I think what everybody can relate to is that if you have a job, I would hope and think that everyone who's listening cares enough to try to do the best that they can do. And they want to complete the job, but in, in television and entertainment, when there, there's no set hours, there's just, it's not like you clock in at nine and clock in oh, five o'clock. Okay. Well, see you guys tomorrow. We'll finish it up tomorrow. Like that's not how this works. When you, when you get on a show that clock starts and it doesn't stop until it's the last day of shooting. And that could be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It doesn't, who knows? And so for, for when you, when Henry, when you say, Hey, 
you know, I was had the one to one shift. It's not like you're working at, you know, a convenience store or, you know, or at, uh, you know, wherever you are at Target and it's one to one. Like, that's not what it is. It's one to, you know, really, you could be in the middle of something that ends up taking up another couple hours. So I just want to make that clear to everybody. You don't and you don't. And this is part of what our why we're doing this, why we career transition, because it's not, it really isn't fair to do that. It's not fair. You're never going to get penalized for giving it your all on a show. But in this industry, you get penalized for giving it your all. You really do. And it sucks. So I'm sorry. I just had to. I would also, I would also add Mike that um, in terms of being producers, we don't get overtime. Whereas, you know, with crew, you know, with camera, audio, editors, they get overtime. And so for them, it becomes like ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Right. For producers, we're on a flat rate. And, and it's like, okay, every hour that I'm going overtime, well, okay, I, I'm actually losing money because I'm on a flat rate. And it's not like, you know, I remember being on X Factor where the editors were making like, you know, 10,000 or more a week and from like overtime and the producers were working just as hard. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, And so there's no, there's no other industry. There's no other industry where that happens. And it's, it's completely, it's wrong. It's, it's, I mean, I don't want to say I'm saying slave labor. I never compare us to the, (laughs) to the slave, to slaves in that time, but, but it is, it's inhumane and it's not, it's not right. And, and really, they really haven't done a lot to change that or to make it, make it better. Um, There are certain shows that are union shows, but even then like production management, still, I mean, you, you, I mean, think about this, Henry, you sign up for a, 60 hour work week, a, a, a 12 hour day, right? Actually take that back. It's more than 60 hours. It's a 72 hour work week, basically, because you're, you're 12 hour days, six days a week. It's a six day work week. That's what you get paid for. So when someone says we're going to pay you $2,000 a week, that's 12 hours a day for six days a week. And if you go on a seventh day producer, it's always going to be seven days because producers usually work seven days straight. It's rare that you get a day off as a producer. That's right. So it's, that's the way it is. And, and, and you are sort of uh, trained and they call it brainwashed, whatever you are, you're trained to just accept it. You go, okay, what's my, what's my weekly rate? Oh, well, you get, I was making 2000 last week. Oh, I'm going to make 2,500 this week. Oh, wonderful. If you break that down hourly, like you might as well go to Starbucks because you're going to get healthcare at Starbucks. You don't get healthcare on these shows. You're going to get, you know, some sort of benefits pop into a 401k or something. You know, you're not, you really aren't getting anything to do this. Well, like, what are, like, what is the upside that hopefully, you know, you get onto another show and get to do it all over again and maybe make a couple hundred bucks more a week. You know, there's so many things that in retrospect, you look back on and go, what What was that? Like, this is not, this is not okay. Sorry, tangent. Oh, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I now understand um, from witnessing um, editors having unions as well as, you know, you know, camera, audio, that, oh, a union actually can be really helpful in these, in these moments where they're actually um, fighting on your behalf. And, you know, with producers, there is no union and it's kind of, you just have to, if you want to work in the industry right now, that's how it is. And it becomes really challenging as you become more wise to, huh, I don't have a 401k. I've been working in the gig economy and I'm exhausted because I've been working seven days a week. And then the time off that you do have, you're usually recovering. You usually have some sort of like production fatigue. You know, it's, it's sort of, you're so tired that it takes like sometimes a month just to kind of recoup that experience that you just went through because it was so adrenaline driven. And so mm-hmm. then it's like, by the time you feel somewhat okay in the second month, you're then getting another job and it just continues. And so, like, by the way, if you're lucky, if you're lucky to get another job, because in that, what, what sometimes happens is, is after that show is over and you're, you finally have that sigh of relief, 
how like for, for me, because I have a family to take care of, that sigh of relief was not very long. It was a couple of days. And then I'm like, where's the next gig? When's the next gig? You know, I would oftentimes put feelers out a week or two before my, my previous gig to try to get something else so that when my gig ended on a Friday, I was starting something else on a Monday because I don't have the luxury. When, the, when you, if you have a week off, you're not getting paid. There's no vacation pay. And that became super stressful for me and, and super emotional. And, and so I hated the fact that, not to bring it back to me for a second, but I, hate, I hated the fact that when I was off work and finally could breathe that sigh of relief, I couldn't even be present for my kids and my wife. I couldn't even be in a good mood because all I was doing was stressing about where is that next paycheck coming from? And it, it just got to me. And I, I definitely understand that. And for me, um, the show that I'm talking about, I had decided, um, I'd set the intention for the beginning of that year to really commit to working um, consecutively. So going from show to show to show. And so, which is also why I was like, okay, let me look for you know, a gig for the holidays. So back to then my story of, um, you know, after you, you know, get home at like four or five in the morning and you've been, you know, working in production, you know, you, you come, you come home and there was just a lot of adrenaline running on set. And so when you're getting home, it's, it's not so easy then to just shut it off, to go to bed. You feel really wired and you haven't been home in hours and hours and hours, and you just want to take a moment. And so oftentimes it would, you know, take a while to go to sleep. And so for this show, you know, I was, I was, you know, getting home at like, you know, four or 5am. So then I wasn't going to sleep sometimes till six or 7am. I was probably getting around three hours of sleep and also switching your hours to working at night like that can really be challenging yet. It was a short gig. And so I was like, okay, it's doable, you know? And we were shooting in this massive, massive estate in LA and so the production was also really contained, which was made it easier, which you probably understand, Mike, because then everything is there, which is great. It's one place. There wasn't a lot of, you know, travel to different locations. And the whole cast had moved in and was living there. And we had this enormous production office that just had everything. All of production was there, the lunchroom, crafty, tech room producer workstations, control room, all in one space. That is how large this place was. It was enormous. And if you weren't on the floor filming, then you were in this one large area. On the day, so one day I went in and I was just starting my 1 p.m. shift. And so as I got to set, I was heading towards the front of the room to go check in with the showrunner to let them know I was there. And as I walked through, I could feel the tension immediately. And so the showrunner, just, just to give quick context, the showrunner, for those that don't know the jargon, is the executive producer, one of the executive producers. They are the one who runs the show. They're the, the, the big boss on set. So everything filters through them. Go ahead. So I started walking through and I began to hear screaming. And as I walked through production, I saw the production manor managers looking down or hastily trying to exit. And when I got to the tech room, I noticed that the crew were actively avoiding my eyes or giving me sympathetic looks. And then I turned the corner and I just saw a sea of producers crying everywhere. And not just a little cry, like, like, the, like the real deep, deep, like- Like ugly cry, like ugly cries. Sorrow cry. And, yeah. um, and in the distance, I could see the showrunner in full rage meltdown. The showrunner hadn't slept in days or maybe weeks and had been so stressed and without sleep. The show wasn't scheduled to go into production until the new year, yet it had been pushed up because the network had a hole to fill in its programming. 
the production company hadn't had any kind of big shows in a while or any kind of hit in a while and really needed the show yet to what expense. So as I walked closer and I saw it all, the showrunner was completely breaking and in so much stress, pain, exhaustion. And it was if like all the trauma from previous experiences combined with this one were coming out in this one moment, screaming at the top of the lungs at the two other EPs and three producers that stood in front of the showrunner. The network execs were there witnessing and I saw one of the high up network execs simply move away and the other network exec grabbed her phone and started looking down at it. This was a house reality therapy show. So we had therapists on set and I saw the on and off camera therapist standing in the back of the room. No one was doing anything to stop the carnage of trauma or to help the showrunner or anyone else. It was 100% awful to see so much pain, hurt, harm, and no one doing anything to help. Like we sign up for jobs and that's it. If it's out of the scope of work, we don't help. And this showrunner needed help and so did everyone else. Anger is so painful for the person going through it. And if it erupts, it can sting in a way that can potentially hurt or cause someone kind of harm for everyone, including the showrunner. So, you know, doing um, what at that point, 20 years plus I had been trained to do to check in, I just started heading towards the area to let them know that I was there. And I thought, okay, well maybe as, you know, as producers, we're always like, okay, maybe there's something to figure out. Maybe there's something that I can help in figuring out. I don't know what, but maybe, maybe, maybe there's something. So I went ahead to let the showrunner know I was there and to see if what was going on and if I could support. And as a trained producer for 20 plus years, you just really do learn that everything is potentially solvable and we can figure it out. And yeah, we were in a really large house contained set and you know, not outside, you know, somewhere in the elements, which when you're outside, there's a lot that's out of control, but when you're inside, it's a lot different in terms of shooting production. Plus we had a lot of smart seasoned people around. We were making TV and not on the front lines yet. It was if we were in a battle. So I got to the front of the room and I let the showrunner and the other EPs know that I was there and the showrunner turned to me and started hurling just angry words towards me. And I immediately or almost immediately disassociated. The showrunner sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And I gotta tell you, Mike, it was probably one of the most frightening moments because I was there, but I wasn't able to decipher what the showrunner was saying. And I saw myself living out this painful experience and I was frozen for what seemed like hours, but it was probably just seconds. And I had been practicing meditation for a long time. So I was able to kind of go into that observer self to see myself break off and disassociate. And I just witnessed myself standing there not being able to hear. And at some point I just intuitively got the information and was guided to leave and go to the bathroom. So I awkwardly like blurted out and I do remember this part because I remember um, the showrunner, like I stopped, the, the, uh, the showrunner was speaking. And so I blurted out while the showrunner was in mid-sentence that I needed to go to the bathroom. And I remember seeing her face just look at me and like almost like, like disappointment, horror that I would interrupt and then say I had to go to the bathroom. Like that was more important. Mm-hmm. And I quickly turned to walk away and um, the showrunner was yelling even more and I could just feel like the anger even more as I left. Like I could feel it almost on my back. And I actually had never walked away like that before. And just to give some information about disassociation, because I think that it can be really confusing if you don't actually know what it is. 
You may psychologically disconnect from the present moment if something traumatic happens to you. And this is called peritraumatic disassociation. Experts believe this is a technique your mind uses to protect you from the full impact of the upsetting experience you had. And when you have disassociation, you may forget things or have gaps in your memory. Tara Brock, a psychologist, author, and one of my mindfulness meditation teachers, she said, in order to make it through such a sudden and severe pain, victims of trauma typically disassociate from their bodies, numbing their sensitivity to physical sensations. Some people feel unreal as if they have left their body and are experiencing life from a great distance. They do whatever they can to keep from feeling the raw sensations of fear and pain in their body. Disassociation, while protective, creates suffering. And when we leave our bodies, we leave home. By rejecting pain and pulling away from the ground of our being, we experience the dis-ease of separation. So long-term workplace trauma is a real phenomenon and workplace-induced trauma can stem from several causes, bullying, poor work-life boundaries and job insecurity and other things. And it's a relatively new concept, but research over the past few decades has highlighted its rising prominence and some workers refer to it as workplace PTSD. So on this day- yeah, no, I just I just wanted to chime in for a second here. I mean, I want to ask you, like, what was this? Was this something that um, that you had ever come close to experiencing in the past? I mean, we're on set, you know, you're on dozens of shows over the years and we are in stressful situations over the years. And there are people who handle um, the difficult situations calmly, you know, we talk about showrunners, some showrunners, um, it all flows down, right? It trickles down. So the, the, the attitude and the demeanor of that showrunner trickles down towards the rest of the crew. Excuse me. You can create a very harmonious set or you can create a very tense set. And I think that it's fair to say that you've probably been on other tense sets before, but my question to you is why in this moment, was do you feel like maybe the reaction was so intense for you or so extreme for you why do you think that this moment you disassociated had you ever disassociated before that's a really good question mike um i don't know i feel like i had never disassociated like that before because i, I couldn't the like the wah 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 like trying to hear what somebody's saying, but not being able to hear them. It was so scary to me. And I would have, it was so scary. And I wasn't the same person after that. And so mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't. And I think part of the, um, part of what happened was as I just kind of grew in terms of being an executive producer, I just realized the, the responsibility we have in terms of people. Um, and just seeing so many people crying, hurt and potentially broken, it just in not just and also the, the showrunner too, like there's so much pain and, and we're making TV and mm -hmm. how is like, how is this causing so much pain and suffering and stress? Like it's supposed to be in some ways it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And entertainment if not, if not it's it's how can we you know collaborate and you know respect um the work that we each do and that's why you bring it you know, together and i think yeah. that was that's really for me you know you know which is i kind of i'll kind of explain now like on that day as i actually walked through back through the sea of producers crying i saw a producer who i who had been on several shows of my shows that I had show run. And I went up to her and I, I immediately just hugged her and I started consoling her. And I was telling her, you know, it's gonna be okay. You're okay. And I don't actually remember this part, but she told me later on that I said to her, I said, I'm done being a jerk to myself. Every time I take a show like this, I'm being a jerk to myself. I am done. And that was so far, that was the last, um, 
reality show that I have worked on. That was the day mm. I walked away from my dream that I had since I was five years old, a career that I loved, a career that I built for 20, over 20 plus years, a job that I was really good at. I'd climbed the mountain and summited and I was on top as an executive. I was starting to get offers from everywhere. Every show I interviewed for, I was like, my agent was fielding offers and I had one of the bigger agencies representing me and everyone was so, so excited about my future. After that incident, when I came back from the bathroom and I went back into that control room, I just wasn't the same person I was going in. I didn't have it in me anymore to be in the sandbox, pretending all of this was okay and going about business as usual. In the end, my own mental and emotional physical health was so much more important. And I could give myself then permission to have a new dream. And it took me a while to really see it, yet I clearly saw how the industry at that time was broken and the system was just broken. And so my excitement of my dream being realized and part of also being naive and the optimistic side of myself and that love for what I was doing really overrode me from really seeing the cracks for a long time. And after mm -hmm. years and years of working in TV, I finally saw at that point, there were just too many unhealthy situations that were similar that I kept seeing pop up. And by then, as you mentioned, being a veteran in reality TV, no matter how much I hoped or wanted things to be different or tried, there were just a lot of other factors. I realized as well, like you, my own values weren't matching up anymore. I wanna I want to be able to be creative, have fun, be inspired, you know, learn to live in a more loving kindness, compassion, inspiration, as well as abundance. And overall, I want people to be inspired and not feel broken. And I, you know, it's like, I don't think then a TV show should be more important than people or people's health. Like that's inhumane. Yeah. And the money can be great, like you said, in television. Yet the power of money and title alone without consideration to the possible overall footprint being left just isn't worth it if the expense is more harm to self and others. So I chose on that day to really take care of myself and I walked away to do so. And I do, I, I really have a hope in my heart that the showrunner and everyone who worked on that show has also found healing because someone probably mistreated that showrunner and from there the abuse cycle begins. So I truly, in my heart, hope that the showrunner found healing and everyone else has as well. And so that is my why, Mike, why I exited the industry to allow myself to career transition. Yeah, I mean, Henry, thank you so much for, for sharing and, and being so, you know, raw about it. I think that um, what's cool about this podcast and what we're talking about, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is that, yes, we were part of this cool, you know, Hollywood, you know, TV, whatever, you, whatever it is, like to the outside, it was really cool. You know, over the years, you know, I had that, that sort of interesting, you know, fun, what is social, almost like a status of like, oh, I'm part of this cool club. And in fact, you know, my dad, you know, which is, is interesting. My dad never, my dad was so proud of me for being in television and being in Hollywood. But he, he, and, and he actually said to me not that long ago, after I made my career transition, he said, you know, I just, I felt like you're part of this cool club. And like, I had a, I, I was a member because of you and you're not that anymore. And I don't have that anymore. And this is a whole nother discussion about after the transition and the people who support you and, and, and how hard it is and why you don't want to sometimes share those hopes and dreams with people because they may get stepped on. And, you know, even your own father and your own family members and your own friends could do that to you. But, you know, there's so much glamour or, or this sort of aura around being part of Hollywood and these TV shows that people get enamored by it. And it's easy when you're inside of it to sort of, it feeds your ego, right? It makes you feel like you're special. Oh, well, all these people think I'm doing something so cool. Like I remember like all my, my friends growing up and like, I was the guy that was 
in TV, you know, like I, like I, I had something and, and there's a part of your ego that's just like, yeah, like that's cool. That, that makes me feel good. It hypes me up. But you look back on it and you realize as you get older and you get more mature and you're, and it's like, look, it doesn't matter. That's that, that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, it's irrelevant. There's real bullshit happening and how much of it are you going to allow or continue to take on and, and, and absorb before you start to realize, okay, enough, enough is enough. And, um, and that you was know, I want to make sure what's that? That was my enough. Enough is enough. That was your enough. That was your enough. And I want to make sure that our listeners know that as this podcast goes on, it's not going to be all these really emotional, difficult moments for us that we've gone through. And it's not going to be a Debbie Downer of a podcast. I mean, we, there are so many hilarious moments that we will share and these behind the scenes moments that we will share. And, um, I mean, and there was really, when we talk about our NBC average Joe experience, there's a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. That we had on that show. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we and had a surf on that show. We learned, we did cliff diving on that show. So much great. I mean, there's so much fun with it. And I think what happens is, you know, you talk about, you get blinded by some of it. It's like, you know, it's almost like being in an abusive relationship where, you know, your partner will tell you how great you are and then they'll abuse you, right? They'll, they'll knock you down. They'll break you down and they'll build you back up. Right. And then make you feel great. And then they'll knock you down and break you down again and they'll build you back up. And it's like, you know, that the people on the outside start to see. And in in when I say the outside to me, it's my family, my direct family, my immediate family going like, you're miserable. And it's like, no, 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 but hey, they love me. They said they loved me. And you know how they said they love me. They want me on again and they want to pay me a little bit more money next time. That's how much they love me. Right. They, they've, they've chosen me. They're, they've interviewed like other people kind of relationship where you're kind of stuck looking for approval. And it like, you yeah, said, the cycle is there. Yeah. And like, like you said, Henry, your, your agents and, and people are, are, are wanting you, you're in demand. And it's like, they said they liked me. And I think as a, as a human, Oh my gosh, that's, there's nothing better than someone telling you that they like you and they approve you and they think you're doing great. I mean, as a kid, that's all you want to do. You want to, you want to be, make your parents proud and you want, you know, and then you want to make other people proud, but we, we forget for a moment. It's like, what about me? You got to make yourself, are you making yourself proud? And I think you and I, we finally had that moment of like, no, we're not making ourselves proud anymore. And it's time to do something that is going to make us proud. And, um, you know, for me, I feel like I made that right choice because I'm able to do things on a daily basis. My girls are able to see me in a positive way. They're able to still get the best of me. Now, don't get me wrong. My new career is so stressful and, and I still have to work and I still have to grind and I still have to be away from them in moments because I'm, you know, I'm, everything's work from home now, but I'm, I'm, I'm not always there, but I'm not on a plane. I'm not in another state. I'm here. And, um, I'd much rather have these stresses where I know that every day I'm working towards our future as opposed to working towards someone else's future. And I think that in your moment of um, disassociation, Henry, you mentioned the showrunner was, was so like on another planet. You said that they hadn't had a hit in a long time. That's what they were feeling. They were feeling that pressure of not being able to provide for themselves or their family or their friends, their colleagues. And there's a lot of pressure on a showrunner. There's a lot of pressure on someone who runs a production company that they're employing, you know, dozens of people. And if the show doesn't do well, everybody might be out of the job. And, you know, you put that pressure on yourself. And I think that there's too many yeah, other people. The disappointment, the fear of failure, all of that goes into yeah. it. And then the and there's too many people there. Yeah, there's too many people who have a say in that success. All those producers could decide that they don't like that showrunner and they could say they're it's a mutiny and they're not going to work on that show. The cast, the crew, the network executives, right? They could say, guess what, showrunner? We don't like you anymore. We're pulling the show from you and we're giving it to somebody else. That can happen. That and has happened. something real where production companies can lose shows and networks can give it to another production company, which yeah. then 
you know, like you mentioned, it's like that production company's employing, you know, in terms of the, that gig specifically a certain amount of people. And it is a lot of stress to have that many people to be responsible for that being right, said, right. what that was the first time also for me, Mike, where I realized, okay, what is going on here? We have an on-camera and an off-camera therapist witnessing. So they signed on for the show to do a job for the show for the cast. And I just thought, wow, we've really compartmentalized and mm -hmm. look what's happening here. And people are turning away. And I thought, okay, like what kind, like for me, it's like, who do I want to be at the end of the day? And that was that kind of moment for me too. It's like, okay, this, this is, there's so many things that are out of my control and much like what you were just explaining, my, my new, my career transition, my schedule is in my control. I can decide on my day. And I can also then in terms of choosing people that I'm working with, when you're an entrepreneur, there's just a lot more flexibility when you have something that's your own. And that's something then to me, it's like, okay, I can bring on people that more match like my own values of where I am now, as opposed to where I used to be. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think we've, we've, we've shared a lot of really great valuable information. Um, I, I think that when it comes to making that career transition for both of us, that what you just said was the most important thing was, was taking control, right? We now have that control of what it is that we want our day to look like, our week to look like, our month, our year, our future. And nobody, nobody can change that and take that away from us, right? And when you're in television, you are at the mercy of so many people and it's a tough world. And listen, I'm not, I'm not bashing it for everybody. There's for, for obviously for, for does hundreds and thousands of people, it's a great life for them, right? They, they, or at least they're, they're willing to, they're willing to sacrifice whatever, you know, they're, they're more pros for them than there are cons for us. In that industry, there weren't. There were way too many cons in the pro, the pro, at the end. And I think that for anybody who, whatever industry you're in, you have to weigh those two things, right? What are the pros? What are the cons? How are these things affecting me? How are they affecting my family? How are they affecting my happiness? And you, you rock it until the cons outweigh the pros. And I think also too something that you've brought up a few times is happiness when you've lost your sight for really allowing yourself to be happy or um, enjoying life. Because at a certain point, I also became kind of like a zombie where I was there, but not really in terms of I was so production fatigued that I couldn't even sometimes put sentences together when I was out with friends because I was so tired, yet I was so happy to be there that my friends were happy to have me there, but I was kind of mute because I was so tired. And when you no longer can really enjoy life, it's like, that's when, okay, what's really happening here is maybe, yeah. maybe I do need a career transition. And that being said, um, you know, do you want to talk about maybe the highs and lows of, um, you know, the career transitioning? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe we just touch upon it. I think we're time-wise, maybe it's time to 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 push push through to the end here. Um, but but maybe um so what did real, you, you know, real in terms of your career transition? I'm sorry, w w repeat the question. So what did you live and learn in terms of the highs and lows of your career transition? Yeah, I mean, I think that for for me I, I touched on it already a little bit. The highs, certainly just being in charge, right? Being in charge of the, of the, you know, not having somebody micromanage every single thing I do, every choice I make, especially, you know, being in a creative world and me being a creative person, having somebody micromanage me and tell me, you know, it should look like this instead of like that. And meanwhile, in my head, I know it needs to look like a certain way. Um, so I think that was the high. I think the low is probably just the doubt, you know, the self-doubt, and the scariness of, you know, is this going to work? Can this work? Um, 
And, you know, what if I fail? These are all the very natural, I think, emotions of what happens if I fail, you know? And I think that I've used that as a motivation to just, I can't fail, you know, failing, giving up is failing and I'm not giving up. And, um, that's sort of what keeps me pushing forward. I think. So how about you? For me, um, what I, in terms of my live and learn high and low, I really, the high is my whole life. Now it's amazing. I'm balanced in terms of personal and professional life. I have a, um, I, you know, I, I'm able to take long walks and see my friends and family. I'm able to, you know, cook daily for myself and just, I just have such a peace and happiness in terms of my overall life that just feels really incredible. And the low was also, it was really scary when I first um, career transitioned and I didn't know, you know, at first what it was going to look like, how to make it really work yet, um, you know, turning the low into a high, I just really realized how much I learned from reality TV. I learned so much as a producer for 20 years that I took those tools from reality TV and I made it apply to my career now. And I also realized then that our tools that we learned are just invaluable. And also just the perseverance, the perseverance that I had that had me moving from New England to California, you know, in my 20s, I still had that perseverance. And I still had, even though I was scared and frightened, I still had that, you know, optimistic attitude that, okay, this is doable. I don't know how, and I'm scared, but somehow this is doable. And that just was kind of like, you know, the sliver of light in, in that, in those moments when I really needed it. So yeah, that, that was really my, my low turning into a high. So yeah. And looking back. That's great, Henry. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say that it's, it's so great because, you know, I think that we, we talked about this, any, anything new is scary. Yes. It's exciting. It can be exciting, but it's scary and it's hard. And I think that, um, starting your own business is one of the hardest things to do. Um, making that jump, making that, making that change. And not everybody has those clear moments. You and I had very clear moments where it happened, but, and I think we can maybe talk about a little bit more next week, but there's several sort of signals along the way that led up to those moments. It wasn't just like, Hey, we love everything that's going on. And then boom, something happens. And now we're changing careers. Like that's not, that's not really how it, how it goes. And, you know, but, but I think that it's important that people understand that, you know, you got to see the clues along the way, the signals, and then come up with a plan and, and follow it through and don't let anybody, anybody tell you that you can't do it or you shouldn't do it because, the only way you're going to be able to do it is by, you know, living it and, oh my God, and learning it. <laughs> I think that's a nice place for us to wrap up. Let's go to gratitude. Yeah. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for all those difficult experiences that I went through. I'm, I'm super grateful for them. Um, I've learned to really, really find the good and the positive in any situation any negative situation, take a step back and go, okay, yes, this happened. It sucks, but look at, it could have been worse and look at what maybe we can learn from it and how we can, you know, adjust moving forward. I'm also really grateful for those challenges and those difficult moments. Even the one where I was on that show with the showrunner and disassociated, I feel like that was such a um, blessing to me and such a gift because it just shook me awake and really just um, gave me the motivation for the career transition. I might've just continued on just settling. And now I'm just living this life that I had wanted for years. So I'm really grateful for that experience and any other experience that led me to this point. So. I love it. I love it. I want to make sure that everybody knows if you're thinking about a career change and, and, and not sure or have questions or 
need motivation or need someone to just be your cheerleader, reach out to us. Like I absolutely, when I made my transition, I, I, my career transition, I posted on social media that I had was, I, I had done it right. I had decided this, I was giving up television. I had, honestly, I had a dozen people reach out to me and ask me questions and I helped them through it. And, and I don't know that all of them decided to make a, tr a change, but some of them did. And I still talk to them and they are thriving now and they are, we still talk and they're thankful and grateful that we had those conversations. I think sometimes it helps when you see someone else doing it, they can, you can, you know, you're not alone. And I want to make sure that our listeners understand that you're not, a, you're not alone. We're not pressuring you into making career change, but if you want to talk about it, absolutely. We're here. We're, we're here. We're here. You're right. not alone. So thank you everyone for listening. Join us next week when we continue talking about our career transitioning and getting into more details of how we really did it. Yeah. And I think we should touch next week, uh, maybe give them a little behind the scenes on what it's like to be on location for months at a time, all the craziness and shenanigans that happens. And, and uh, maybe we share some of our experiences from our time on Average Joe. Yes. <laughs> I think you'll like hearing when we spent time in Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii, Palm Springs, Tahiti. Did you go to Tahiti? No, I didn't get to go to Tahiti. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Thanks. Oh, sorry to rub that in. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Thank you guys, everyone. Um, thank you, everyone. We're uh, again to, to reha rehash our, our social handles, right, Henry? That's right. Please connect and follow us on social media and please share our podcast everywhere. That's right. We're on social at live and learn show uh, on both Instagram and Facebook. And then I my personal handles are at Mike Hazen realtor H-A-Z-A-N on both so on both Facebook and Instagram. And mine on Instagram and Facebook, my personal is at inspiringyou.co, at inspiringyou.co. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Mikey. Get back.